Hello everyone, you're now tuning in to Armlad Podcast. I'm your host, the Armlad himself, and today I would like to discuss on love literacy. This is a fairly new concept that I thought of, I think. Basically, there is a new love language in town. It's not to say that the old love languages has become obsolete. It might be. It might not be. I don't think it is within my right to say if it is. Then again, a lot of what I see here is just my unfiltered thoughts anyway, so maybe it is my right to say. Well, personally, I don't think it's obsolete. For now. I might need to revisit that in future episode or just future references on my Instagram, but I don't think it's gone obsolete just yet. Now, I've read a little bit on the new seven love languages. Yes, there are now two more love languages, which in a sense, not exactly, but in a sense, it was somewhat blurred under the other love languages before. Now, mention that a little bit down the line. But there are two ways that you can see these two additional love languages, I think. Now, the first is that these new love languages are simply just that, addition to the previously incomplete list. Or the second way of seeing it, which is the way I'm kind of leaning more towards to at this point in time, and that is to see these list of love language not so much as language, but more of literacy. Now, what do I mean by literacy? Literacy here is in the sense that you are able to recognize and understand these things as love. Because love language talks more about speaking. It's more about how do you speak or how do you say I love you in your own ways. Just for short, acts of service would be by action, not words. Gifts would be about representation. It's how you represent your love. Words of affirmation is by words and not action. Or really, it's just about the profession of love. Not profession as in job, but profess like profess your love. You get what I mean. Some people are just better with words, and that is the best way they express their love. Quality time would be about spending time together. It's that I want to be with you forever and ever kind of feeling. And last but not least, the ever-favorite physical touch would be to be physically affectionate. It's similar to action instead of words, but more expressive and less practical. It's more emotional and less logical, if that makes sense. Now, based on the test that I took on the seven love languages, which if you want the link, you can feel free to contact me from anywhere because I'm not spelling out the link for you guys. But based on the test that I took, which although could be improved, seems to be decent enough at face value based on my own subjective appraisal, just so that we're clear that this is a very subjective um, evaluation of it, and it's just at face value, like I wouldn't say that this is perfectly valid or perfectly reliable, but I think it's decent enough for you to understand a little bit more about yourself and um, the people around you. But based on the test, I think these love languages differ ever so slightly, or at least what it tests or what it measures differs ever so slightly. So let's dive right in. Now, first off, appreciation, which is probably the closest thing to words of affirmation. But instead of saying things like, I love you to the moon and back, it's more of noticing these little things and appreciating all these little things that they bring into your life and saying things like, thank you for cleaning out the dishes, or your cooking was absolutely amazing, or thank you for dessert last night, wink wink. It would also mean that it's not so much of, oh my god, you're so beautiful, but it's more like, 
I love the color of your eyes, or I love the way you smile, or I'm always impressed with the way you dress. It's noticing things like your partner getting a new haircut, or a new shade of lipstick, or not wearing heels so you don't look so short next to him. So it's not just preferring to hear words of affirmation, but it's how much it matters to you. How much you can feel loved from the way someone noticed these little things about you. When someone remembers the exact way you order Starbucks, which is probably a nightmare for any Starbucks barista out there, do you find that sweet? Because in a sense, it's a way of saying, I see you, the way they do in Avatar, the blue thing, not the lesser bender. So second one is activity, which I think is probably the closest thing to quality time. But while quality time talks about enjoying time together, which can also mean doing your own things together, doing separate activities in the same vicinity. Now, activity, well, it can probably mean the same. I think it's more of taking interest in your partner's interests or hobbies. Now, first off, let's clarify that there are things called interest and there are things called hobbies. Hobbies are the things you love doing. Interest is things you love learning about. So activity is about playing your favorite games together, or watching your favorite movies together, or learning about things you're interested in together. It's like, if my partner is into fiction novels, as much as I don't read books, do I want to know what she's reading about? What she likes about it? Maybe she can even read it out loud and I'll listen along. Or maybe I can even read it for her. It's knowing what they love and why they love it. It's knowing their frame of reference to see how they see life. You know how pop culture references are now somewhat divided into like different factions, if I may say so? It's like Star Wars versus Star Trek. Like I think people usually have a strong inclination towards one more than the other. I don't think I've really seen anyone who enjoys both. And if they do even like both, it's because they don't have any strong feeling towards either one. And it's also things like Marvel versus DC or Friends versus How I Met Your Mother. Now, I don't have the time to look into why people are into one more than the other, but I think it's safe to say that there are preferences and reasoning behind that. Now, by doing these activities together, you are understanding their frame of references. And so what happens when you've ran out of personal things to share? Well, you can explore things together. If you love movies, then watch a new movie together. Or get a new book together. Or get a new game together. It's like if you love art and your partner loves sports. Will you accompany him to watch his soccer matches and actually give a fuck when his team lost the match? And will your partner take the time to understand your art, be it singing, dancing, painting, fashion, or whatever? For me, it's like, you know how passion is contagious? I think it's about how you share these passions with each other and let yourself be entwined with one another. This way, a bit of you forever lives in your partner and a bit of your partner forever lives in you, right? So the next one is practical, which I think is the equivalent of access service. Now, while access service talks about being helpful and how much you're willing to go out of your way to make your partner's life easier, practical puts more emphasis on the practical mundane stuff that just needs to get done. Which can be a huge range of things depending on your partner. Say if they love cooking, then helping with cooking isn't exactly helpful. 
if they love cleaning, then cleaning wouldn't exactly be helpful. Really, it's the oldest trick in the book, which is really to take care of someone, but it's not to say that you have to fix all their problems for them, which I think is a very good distinction because a lot of people try to be helpful and just start the fight instead because they can't differentiate which one are practical and which one are... Mm, if I should pick a word, maybe personal? See, the point is to take care of them so that they have more time to do things that they enjoy. So if they love their work, taking care of things around the house would give them more time to dive into their work without stressing out about things that needs to be done or simply her share of chores and responsibilities. It's really to say, hey, I got you, do your thing. I think the difference is with access service, the idea, or to be critical, the general understanding is that the more you do nothing, the better. But with practical, it's the more you get to do what you want to do, the better. Which I understand could potentially be scary for some people because if the practical things are all you ever do in your life and you don't have anything that you actually want to do, then not doing anything can seem a little scary to those unfamiliar with it. But if you ask me, these times of nothingness can help foster growth. It can be used as a time to reflect, to explore your own interest, to get to know yourself better, and all that shit. I think this is probably one of the oldest love language, which can easily be found in the most traditional depiction of a marriage couple. The wife would take care of all the practical stuff around the house, and the husband would take care of the financials. Which, speaking of financial, is another love language, and the equivalent of gifts. Which also means that for the longest time, husbands has gotten it wrong. First, taking care of your children is not part of practical, or so I hope. I really do hope that taking care of your children, like feeding them and changing their diapers, is considered as a practical thing that just needs to get done, Cause or else, I really worry about you, and your partner, and most of all your kid. Second of all is that on top of food, you still have to come bearing gifts every now and then. Again, this is just if we box it down into wife uses practical love language and husband uses financial love language. And financials is not just gifts. It would include financial security and other luxuries. It's providing the resources that your partner needs. It's getting them the food that they want, getting them the things that they want, and on top of that, personal gifts from you to them. Now, this might sound a lot to you, but financial doesn't equal expensive. Then again, we have to keep in mind that in this day and age, if you can't earn for the both of you, then I think it's safe to say that your partner has the right to find work if they choose to. It's for them to have their own financials need met. You can't simply tell your partner to stay at home and not work and expect them to just eat nuggets and instant noodles every day because that's the only thing you can afford. Or to not let them buy things that they want to buy because you can't afford it. I think that with this in mind, it's also about time for us to see gold diggers differently. Now I'm not saying that people could just be gold diggers and say that it's love and that is the way they prefer to be loved and shit like that. Like, if you win it for the money then you're in it for the money. Again, this is why I think the emphasis is not so much on speaking the language or asking your partner to speak this particular language, 
but it's more about how much you can recognize and understand these things as forms of love and how much these things matter to you. So financials is about saving money for them when they need it one day. It's about spending money on them to buy things they want to buy or to do things they want to do. It's about providing for them. But it's not so much the result as much as it is the effort. If you don't have the money, then perhaps you can show it in how you manage your financials for the future with her in mind. Because spending all your money on her and having nothing to eat the next day wouldn't be such a loving thing to do either, now would it? So it's about how much you're willing to work day in and day out to be able to do all these things. It's about how much you care that she gets to do the things she wants to do, or better yet, the finer things in life. And that is also why when it comes to buying gift, it's not so much about how much the gift is, but rather how much the gift is in comparison to how much you earn. Now, of course, there are other factors like the effort and the thought and how personal it is. But if you earn $1,000 a month and you spend $100 on a gift on her, say roughly about every month or so, I think it's a bit cheap. Not to mention if you actually spend more for yourself. I think it's the same idea when buying a ring to propose or a wedding ring. If you earn $10,000 a month and you spend $1,000 on a ring, which is probably already really decent for a ring, but really, what does it say about how much you love her? What does it say about how much effort you're willing to put into having her in your life? So it's not to say that this is the language of the riches. No, it's not the amount of money that counts. It's what the money represent. Time is money, no? So it's how much of your time are you willing to sacrifice to make sure that she gets all these things? Now, if you say the rest of your life, which is probably what marriage entails, then even if you don't have a lot of money, you can at least save up a little bit every month and get her something one day. So again, gold diggers are still gold diggers, but not all gold diggers are just in it for the money. Maybe they seem like gold diggers, but they just know how much they cost and they prefer to be with someone who can take care of her financially. Someone who earns enough money so that she doesn't have to work anymore. But that doesn't mean she wants to skim on her budget. But also remember that it's about the effort, not the result, right? So if she wants someone who is already capable, which is fair, and she isn't someone who wouldn't want to get through the tough times with you, she isn't someone who isn't ready to sleep under the bridge with you if it gets to that, then it's never about the effort. It's about the result, right? And like I said, it's about how much you understand and recognize these things as forms of love and how much you value these things, right? So if the result is all she cares about, that's just how much she understands and recognizes financial as a love language. And that's just how much she values financial as a love language. Anyhow, before diving into the two new ones, we go to yet again the ever-favorite love language, physical. But physical... Here, or physical intimacy, I think is much more than just physical touch. Physical touch talks about how affection and touches and whatnot can make people happy. It's about the hormonal thing. It's when people touch you, you get a flux of hormone and you feel happy, things like that. But physical intimacy, or physical here as a love language, talks about how much you know your partner physically, or so I think that's what it's about. Then again, I'm not the one creating all these things, 
Some might be wrong, but the way I understand it, it's about how much you know your partner physically. It's about memorizing how holding their hand feels. It's about memorizing how tight they hug you. It's about recognizing her by touch and not by visuals. Honestly, this thing just goes from the most sexual shit to the most romantic shit. Anyhow, last two. First is emotional. It basically talks about EQ or emotional intelligence. It's how much you are able to understand her emotions and support her through it. There is a surprising amount of depth and intimacy and understanding that is shared without even saying a single word when you can really sit down with your partner while they're having a moment, be it anger, sadness, happiness, fear, whatever. And I think there's a lot of tenderness to let your partner vent and scream and just be angry for a moment. And you stay there with her. You don't leave her be. You stay there and you listen to her still. And at the end of it all, you're just like, are you done? You feel better? Not in a dismissive way of talk to me when you can control your emotions thing. But rather like, oh, that must have been a lot. I'm glad you got to get them out of your system. You know, there needs to be an adequate level of emotional intelligence for you to recognize just how deep your partner can feel. Because not everyone feels things at the same depth or at the same intensity. So if you're someone who feels things very intensely, someone with low emotional intelligence might not be able to comprehend just how much you're going through. Which is very much in the same line with the last one, which is intellectual. Um, If emotional is about EQ, then intellectual talks about IQ. It's about, can you understand my thoughts? It's about, can you comprehend the way I think? Can we have an intellectual discussion? Say, if I'm someone who spends a lot of time learning about marketing, and that's what I love, and that's my interest, can you keep up when I try to discuss or brainstorm ideas with you? Do you have the capacity to understand and contribute to the discussion? I think, therefore I am, right? That's the old saying. The bane of our existence is our thoughts. So the question is, can you help me with my thoughts? So as you can see, there is a surprising amount of depth and intimacy in the way all the love languages are categorized and compares into the five love languages. And that's why it's not just speaking it or hearing it, but it's understanding it and valuing it. It's not just, can you spend more time with me or touch me more, but more of, can you understand me? Can you value me? So in the case of the five love languages, if you have access service and your partner has words of affirmation, I think you can always talk in each other's languages, or as I've mentioned in my previous episode, you can create all these little habits just to say I love you every day. But with these seven ones, if someone doesn't value financial love language, then perhaps they would prefer living in a simple house comfortably with the mundaneness of life, and they'd be perfectly content with that. And that might not necessarily be the life you want to live. If someone doesn't value practical, then perhaps they wouldn't appreciate a housewife or a house husband. Perhaps they would much prefer a more power couple dynamic. Now, if you've been listening up to this point, you've already had a much more firm understanding of what these love languages are, which basically help you understand what you and your partner values in your relationship. So, now the question is, can you live with the differences in values? 
or are you adamant on finding someone who share your values? It's been me, Armlad. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys in the next episode.